Dotnet Rocks episode 724 with guests Udi DeHaan, Jim Benson, and John Skeet. Recorded live Thursday, November 10th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin with another great show from Ordev. There's a few things we need to tell you about. We just started the .NET Rocks fan club. If you go to .netrocks.com, you'll see the Get Free Stuff graphic over on the upper right-hand corner, or if you just go to fanpage.aspx, we just wanted a new way to give away a whole bunch of swag. So every show we're giving away a Telerik Ultimate Collection worth $2,000. We're also every month giving away a Grape City Suite. Every year, once a year, we're going to draw for $5,000 worth of big-ass machine for you. That's right, one lucky fan club winner is going to win that. And of course, anytime we get extra swag, we're just going to auction it off. Now, what do we want from you? Just take a survey. That's all. It's a short survey. It takes about five minutes. You're in the fan club. Your name is in the list. We're going to draw those names and people are going to win stuff. So go to .netrocks.com slash fanpage.aspx. Also, the tablet show. I don't know if you've been there in a while, but the tabletshow.com is a new sister show to .net rocks. Uh, 45 minutes to an hour long, and we talk about Windows 8, Android, and iOS development. So if this is something you want to test the waters around, just go check it out, the tablet show, listen to an episode. It's good stuff. Uh, DNR TV, interesting things coming up. Gesture Pack, uh, Connect Gesture Recognition and Recording, software that I wrote, I showed off on DNR TV. That's up there now. Also, very soon you're going to see the work that I've been doing in speech recognition, so that'll be up there at dnrtv.com. Of course, runasradio.com, hanselminutes.com, lockdownpodcast.com is another show we're doing on security, Pat Hines and Michelle LaRue Bustamante. And before we can even get started here, I need to tell you that Pluralsight.com offers more than 200 minutes of free training videos for your free trial. All the MVPs and RDs and people who've been on our show, the experts are doing training for Pluralsight. And they have this vast library of topics, including design patterns, architecture, object-oriented design, agile practices, Scrum, you name it. If you can think of it, it's there, Pluralsight.com. And uh, subscriptions start at just $29 a month. All right, let's get to the show. Hey, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We're doing .NET Rocks live at Ordev 2011 uh, at the end of the hall here, and we're talking with Udi Dahan. Hi, Udi. Hey! Yay for Udi. Wow. Here, you have... for you at the beginning. You don't even have to talk. You should take your bow and go. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> well, Thanks. thank you. It's, it's good being here. Good, good being back on the show. Yeah, good to have you. Last time you were on the show, we talked about Service Bus. In fact, on DNR TV. That's right. We showed DNR it off. TV. Yeah. You had a session called, Why Do the Service Bus Anyway? That's right. That's, <laughs> well, I mean, the question's got to be asked, That's right? fair. Right. Totally yeah. fair. Yeah. So what else uh, have you been talking about here at Ordev? Uh, well, tomorrow I'm talking about uh, domain-driven design, uh, another fairly popular 
pattern slash methodology that's kind of taken a lot of the world by storm. Is this uh, something you do? Are you a DDD guy? I'm uh, I guess you could say I'm a DDD guy. I yeah. mean, uh, uh, I, I disagree profusely with most people that are doing DDD and the way that they're doing DDD, but that's just kind of the guy I am. I disagree with everybody in terms of how they did SOA. Mm-hmm. I disagreed with everybody who did web development a certain way. I'm just a disagreeable kind of guy. I can okay. see you're very difficult, Duty. I get yes, that. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. So, so, so DDD is the same. Yeah, why not? Right. <laughs> so what's wrong with DDD as you see it? Well, it's not in the book per se. So me and Eric yeah. Evans spend a, a great deal of time talking about uh, what's going on. And Eric's already said that he feels a little bit badly that he put the most important stuff in the back end of the book. Okay. So people read the first you know, 50 to 100 pages to talk about entities and value objects and repositories. And then most of the time people kind of looked at the next 300 pages and said, yeah, I got the gist of it. Close and, enough. And, uh. and, and they just kind of went with that. When there was never any intent for that to be all of DDD. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and a lot of times people get into trouble but when they just kind of use the first 50 pages of DDD rather than the most important stuff. Well, you really got to define your terms first before you can have a meaningful conversation, right? Is that uh, sort of where he was going in the book? Um, so, it, as someone that's done a fair bit of writing, you're never going to find the perfect structure for any kind yeah. of uh, work. That's going to hold up well. You only find out after you've released it yeah. the, the, the way that people adopt it. Yeah, but you, it's interesting the language that you use to start off with. You've got to set your terms. And that's yeah. actually a very big part about the bounded context pattern of domain-driven design. Okay. That actually talks about the, the meaning of the words that you use. That you know, when you say the term customer and Richard says the word customer and somebody else says the word customer, maybe you'll don't mean the exact same thing. Right. And I mean the right kind of customer, and he's got the wrong kind of customer. <laughs> That's basically it. what it comes down to, <laughs> except vice versa. Yeah, right. As long as you agree with each other. Yeah, as long as we both agree that we're right, we're fine. Yeah. That's right. So um, the concept of bounded context in domain-driven design is there to kind of say, we need to disambiguate terms. Anytime okay. we're talking about any term, uh, we need to get a little bit more specific about what you mean when you say X, what you mean when you say customer. Mm-hmm. And um, a very big part of, of what ends up going wrong with domain-driven design projects is people assume that the system is just one big domain. That I've got customers and orders and order lines and products and, and, and that's my world. Uh, traditional object-oriented analysis and design. You pick out your nouns and your verbs right. and you kind of do some modeling and off you go. Yeah. Um, from a bounded context perspective, we'd say, well, we want to get a little bit beyond that basic level. Of when you say customer, what do you mean? Say, so when you talk to a sales guy, say, well, a very big part of their world is leads, right. not actually people that bought anything. Right. When, when, when finally somebody turns from a lead to a customer, a conversion, in other words. Right. Most of the job of sales is done. Yeah. Sales right. isn't particularly interested in managing customers, they're all yeah. about the leads. Mm-hmm. Right. But until you actually sit down and get involved in their context, you you might project the term customer on everything that they sure. do because you want the one customer well, to rule them all. Well, the data structure is exactly the same. Well, the thing is that it's not entirely the same. Uh, for example, there's a whole, in dealing with leads, there's a whole lot of nullability that goes on. Yeah. In other words, 
I met this guy at a conference. I remember his name was Joe, and he works at this company, but I can't remember his last name. Right. So and the I want... details really are not filled in. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if somebody else would look at it and say, no, a customer must have a first name and a last name and sure. a this. Yeah. Now, hold on a second. That's not how this world works. That's right. right. And then there's a whole big thing about merging leads. Said somebody else, there we had a bunch of salespeople at the same conference, and somebody else met Joe from Acme Corp. Yeah. And we need to figure out that these guys are the same Joe. Yeah, that's and right. Now, when you're talking about a customer, a lot of times when people look at doing modeling, they think about modeling the real world. Mm. When, but they don't actually look at the real world. They assume that there's only one customer called Joe. Right. Said, right, but there can be two leads both of them Joe from Acme Corp, that we have to manage. Well, we also yeah. have to, it's also the reality of a customer can be entered twice. Right. And Absolutely. When it happens, sure. you have to deal with it in mm-hmm. some way. There has to be yeah. a mechanism that the reality is you misspell the guy's last name or whatever, you know, right. uniquely identifies him and boom, they're in there twice. It's actually a, the same a guy. A pruning process, an emerging right. process. Yeah. So, so a very big part of it is saying, okay, now that we understand what goes on in sales, now we say, well, what does it, what does it mean to convert a customer, uh, to convert a lead to a customer? You kind of say, well, actually, it's more of an accounting type of issue. So they have left money with us. What did they purchase for how much? What was the discount? What was the tax? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. It's more accounting related yeah. than customer related. Right. Sure. And then you got the guys that deal with support. So, okay, so now we have someone that, that oh, okay, in customer support, we must have customers. But actually, when you spend some time in that context, you see that the primary thing that goes on is complaints, right? Mm. Complaints and incidents. Mm. Now, off of the same account, you have multiple people that open up an incident. Right. Huh. So are they a customer? Right. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of, but sense. not really. I mean, they didn't actually do the purchase, and they have a different name, they have a different email address, but they fall under the same account, and you should support them. So yes. your point is well taken. What a customer is is totally different depending on who you talk to. Well, often when you go through this process of what Eric calls context mapping, you may come out at the other end and realize we don't actually have a customer. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the big story of domain-driven design. Yeah. It's that when you start from that type of contextual place, mm-hmm. rather than assuming that everything fits in one bucket, right. the kind of modeling you do is very different and ends up bringing you a whole lot closer to the business. So that's very the cool. story. Wow, that's and great. And it sort of changes that viewpoint entirely, right? It, well, a lot of things change. A lot of, uh, also, architecturally speaking, imagine a report that you're drawing up. Say, well, where do I get my information from now that I have three, four different contexts where the account is here, but the lead is over there and the complaint is over here. Right. The whole concept of how do you build a UI, where where are you getting this stuff from, kind of moves a little bit in a different direction from the traditional MVC. Well, MVC assumes one model. Right. Now you don't have one model anymore. Yeah. I got three of them. I got four of them. Sure. Mm. Got to keep, how do you keep these things in sync? Yeah. Do you have referential integrity? That becomes an interesting database type question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you put all these in the same database, different databases? So lots of interesting things happen to your architecture once you start going down this rabbit hole. But in my experience, lots of good things. Yeah. Yeah. The more you know, the better job you do. I still finding awful lot of projects where we're about halfway through before we really actually understand what we need to build. 
when we realize what we don't need to build. <laughs> so, so what the Northwind Traders database demo would call a customer, you would call a, a person? Because that's really what that record represents? Well, I, I have a saying about Northwind. Um, it, you, you guys are probably familiar with the movie Inception. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Northwind is that, that infectious idea that was implanted in young developers' brains <laughs> yeah. before they even realized what was going on. It right. lodged itself in there so deep yeah. that they thought that this is what the real world is supposed to be like. Yeah. And you know, they, they keep trying to take every new problem and reduce it to Northwind. Right. <laughs> you know, it happens every time this. we get a new technology from Microsoft, doesn't right. it? How do you do a Northwind with it? How do you do a North pet Wind shop? Database. How do you do a consolosa? Right. Whatever you call it. It's all the same <laughs> idea virus. I always thought that Inception was actually proof that running a virtual machine inside a virtual machine makes things go slowly. <laughs> but, but that's just me. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing Scott Hanselman in there. But we'll let that go. But... Right. The problem is, it's like, you know, it's a first love thing. Your first database infects you for life. Pretty it's, much. It's always yeah. there. Yeah. Ruins it for you. I think mine was Beetrieve. Where does that leave me? Oh, man. Dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, Udi. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you. All right, man. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We're at Ordev at the end of the hall doing .NET Rocks Live with Jim Benson. Hi, Jim. Hi. Tell us uh, what you're talking about here. Uh, what I'm talking about here this year is uh, visualizing work, um, setting up systems inside companies and organizations so that everybody knows what's going on and that uh, there's clarity uh, so people can actually get real work done and not spend a lot of time planning or arguing or confused. When I think about visualizing work, I think about Kanban and Post-it notes. That would be uh, close to that, yes. One way? Yes. Yeah, so, so my, 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 for, in, in our book, Personal Kanban, um, our two rules are that you need to visualize your work uh-huh. and limit your work in progress. Mm-hmm. And I really don't care how you visualize your work. Mm-hmm. So you can use the post-it notes in the linear Kanban system, or you can do almost anything else just as long as you're aware of what you're actually doing. And other people can see it too. And that's the, it's, that's the real point, isn't it? It's, not, yeah. it's just, not just for other people, but it, it's a reinforcement for you. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So you can stay focused. Yeah, and and so that you you understand what your actual options are. Oh uh, yeah. So when we work with personal Kanban, we don't only want people to track what they're doing in the project, but we also want people to track what they're doing in in the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you don't end up at eight o'clock. You know, I, I had an employee once. I came in uh, to pick something up after work, and he was still in there typing away. Yeah. And I said, "Didn't your daughter have a piano recital tonight?" And yeah. he said, "Yeah, but I want to finish this." So I went and threw the through the breaker. I was like, "No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go. You're, that's important. Yeah, there's only one that happens once. This right. thing will be here tomorrow morning. Yeah, uh, but we get so focused on." on the thing that we think is important that we miss things that are actually important. It's funny, you know, um, what, what's coming to mind here in my personal life is the Google Calendar, mm -hmm. which has completely taken over my life. I think I track nine or ten Google Calendars now, mm -hmm. all um, on my uh, iPhone as well. Between my wife and her kids, my ex-wife, my kids, mm -hmm. uh, the studio schedule, the .NET Rock schedule, like each one of these has a different calendar. Mm -hmm. And it, we, yeah, I live by it now. I live by it. It almost feels uh, too scheduled sometimes, but, but without it, I'd just fall apart. Right. And, and one of the things that with the, with the Kanban, since it's not necessarily schedule-based, it's um, yeah. opportunity-based. So you can see what your actual options are, how they relate to each other, and then start to build paths through your work yeah. or through your life that uh, make a little more sense. And you also can get the ability to say, I don't want to do this. Right. Uh, this thing that I'd really like to do, yeah. I know I can't do because I don't have capacity for yeah. it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So when you're limiting your work in progress, you're, you're noting to yourself more than anybody else, I have a capacity, and if I exceed that capacity, the quality of my work will go down. So it gives you an option to change course. Yes. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do in general, I think. No. No, uh, it's and, something we and don't it's like really to do. hard to do yeah. if you can't see what you're doing. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think there's, you know, we talk about your, your scenario there with the, the fellow who was missing the recital. Is mm -hmm. If that was up on a Kanban board, he would know before that evening, you know, my work process is too large. One of these things is going to have to fall. Mm -hmm. I should decide up front. I think it's just making that decision-making process earlier. Mm -hmm. Then you're comfortable with the decision. Well, the other thing is that when you're not making that decision, mm. the card's still up there right. going, you're not at the recital. Right. You suck. <laughs> you, you would be much better if you were actually at this recital and you're like you know yeah. it's, it's, it's always on it's always taunting you with reality right. and I read a book called The Power of Full Engagement mm -hmm. that talked about how if we don't make those commitments and, and make time for each of those things you don't you actually get less and less productive so you know when you're still coding at 3 o'clock in the morning you're actually getting further away from the deliverable oh, absolutely. than closer yes you know? you're, you're becoming you're becoming a technical debt generation machine yeah yes. <laughs> that's very good you're, yeah. you're doing something ugly now yeah oh. and, and that's uh, you know when it, the, the whole Kanban thing is about building flow based systems which allow work to be finished at its natural pace yeah so if a task takes a certain amount of time to finish of quality uh, or without uh, a certain amount of technical debt, that's how long it takes. Mm. And so that was one of the problems that we were running into with agile time boxing was that 
we get towards the end of a sprint or towards the end of an iteration where we had committed to a certain amount of work. Mm -hmm. And as you get closer, you get more and more stressed about smashing that last stuff right. in there so that you'll make your, and your, you start to sacrifice your commitment. quality for time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, sometimes things take two weeks and one day to do, and right. that's not necessarily a human failing. It's just how things work out. Well, and going all the right. way back to McConnell, when we cram and get it in on time, quote unquote, we've mm -hmm. now added weeks of work later to clean up the debt we created cramming. Huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we have choices every day about what we choose, what we choose to do. And uh, one of the things about Agile was saying, well, you know, right now we're making these huge plans up front. Mm. So maybe we should only plan for every two weeks. But mm. now what we've done is we've taken that planning process now, j just like uh, Dan was talking about in the keynote this morning. Yeah. Uh, we're, now, we're now smashing that process down into two-week chunks. Right. Uh, with Kanban, what we're trying to do is say, you know what? We finish stuff at a regular rate. Context and conditions change every day. So our choices of what we'll do might or might not change with those. And, but we need to be flexible enough to deal with those changes when they come up. Does it really take a single person paying attention to all of that stuff that that's their job? In, is that's their role, or is this something that everybody has what, to what make? Was, what was it what they used to say in World War II, that vigilance was everybody's job? Right. That was my next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is something everybody really has to pay attention to. Right. So if, if each of the individual coders working on a project are, are looking to somebody else to know everything about what they're building, they're going to build crap. And they'll stop thinking about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And, and so we want everyone to have clarity over not only what the project's doing, but what's going on with the team. So does that lessen the role of a, of a traditional manager? You bet. Over, yeah. It transforms them into a leader, and it makes them less of a manager. Yeah. Human beings shouldn't need to be managed, especially not in knowledge work. If people are making $175,000 a year, you should not need to manage them. Yeah. That also typical management, you know, taking over in, in taking your brain away has has not really worked no in the past and it doesn't no. developers well, don't like taking that taking your brain away from knowledge work yeah that's not yeah, good that's <laughs> not good but I, I think I want to jump back to the personal side of this I mean you talk uh -huh. about personal yeah. Kanban as well just this idea of you know your children and your family as projects also that mm -hmm. need routine contributions to that take a certain amount of time that mm -hmm. are inevitably pieces of work in progress that if not worked on, get diminished. Yeah, we exactly. have child 1.0, child 2.0. That's Very right. Nice. <laughs> I was thinking more in the world of Warcraft of just trying to level her up before, oh, she, before she becomes a dark elf. <laughs> I'm proud that I don't know what you, hell you're talking about, actually. <laughs> But I think, you know, again, we talk about the schedule point of view. Right. And I'm a big calendar believer, too. But I yeah. also block out calendars events for walking the dog with my daughter mm -hmm. and yeah. going to the recital and making, you know, you push, you and I interact, interact on schedule a lot. Because yeah. I stick stuff in your schedule. That's right. You stick stuff in my schedule. And that's the mm -hmm. way it works with all, all the actors in my life. I mean, my ex-wife yes. and my, my kids and, you know, they're putting stuff on my schedule that I need to pay attention to and vice versa. And it works mm -hmm. really, really well. But I like the Kanban idea of, you know, keeping those, 
important things in the work and recognizing there's just works in progress that never go away. Yeah, and and Not also they go to college anyway. There are a lot of things that we we need to get done that aren't scheduled. Right. And yeah. so quite often we will schedule ourselves right out of the ability to get important stuff Boy, done. Boy, you said that right. Which means that all of a sudden one day that important thing which would have been nice to have done thoughtfully over time, right. you have to cram. Yep. You're like, "Oh my god, this is now an emergency and right. I have to deal with it." So we schedule Schedule-based planning drives us into always dealing with urgent and important tasks, mm-hmm. you know, on the Covey right. quadrant, and and not the important but not, not urgent, urgent tasks, yeah. which mm-hmm. are like, you know, what can I do to make my life better? Right. What can I do to make my family's life better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like people to start doing is balancing, saying, I understand I'm always going to have a certain amount of urgent and important stuff, right? right. but it would be really awesome to say, you know what? You came and asked me to do this thing. I totally want to do it because you're a great person and I love you and I want to do a good job for you. Mm -hmm. But as we can both see, uh, I'm filled up. Yeah. And I will give you bad quality if I start to do this no matter how much in my heart of hearts I want to get it done for you. Yeah. Or that you have to start looking at taking other things down off the board so that Mm -hmm. you can deliver that thing the way you want to deliver it. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's part of the options Mm -hmm. trading. Fascinating stuff. Yep. What's next for you? Yep. Um, what's next for me? Uh, well, uh, Tony Ann, my co-author, and I have a um, uh, two more books coming out uh, fairly soon. Uh, one is on the role of cognitive bias and uh, decision making, mm-hmm. and then the second is applying these lean techniques to um, uh, to meetings. So basically, one of my goals is to destroy the status meeting. Nice. Awesome. I would like no more status meetings for the rest of eternity <laughs> because we have the ability now to exchange information yeah. for free. So we don't need to bring a bunch of people into a room and say, guess what? This happened. Right. But now we can actually have meetings to just say, let's get stuff done. Right. Let's, let's have new ideas. Let's create. Yeah. Let's ideate. But, but no more. Let's just... Have someone stand there and inform everybody else. Yeah, things I already know. Mm-hmm. Especially. Yep. Well, that sounds great. Thanks very much for talking yep. to us. Absolutely. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here at Ordev in Sweden, and uh, we're with John Skeet, the dude. Sir. <laughs> Sir I don't John Skeet. ever been a dude. No. I just, I'm oh, the anti-dude. Oh, no, you are the done man. a session. And how early did people show up for your session? Uh, so the keynote finished at 20 past nine or so, and right. they were there at 25 past, as I was sort of doing the, let's just see whether the projector works and yeah. stuff, for a 10 o'clock session. And you, ru- so, yeah, so you, uh, you showed up a half hour before your session, the room totally overflowed. It did by, by well, we started a few minutes early because it had filled up, I was like, there's no, no room more is getting in this room, anyway. I yeah. might as well so go. Let me just um, tell you how I'm, I've been impressed by John. He did two sessions uh, on DNR TV which is the sister show to .NET Rocks, but it's video. It's a Camtasia screen cast and interview at the same time. And he basically deconstructed the await keyword. 
not only deconstructed, reverse engineered it and wrote it himself in C Sharp so we could understand what the heck it does. Just to be clear, though, not the compiler side. Only no, no, the no, no, no. Side. The he compiler didn't com- side. He didn't decompile it. He yeah, deconstructed. I, I decompiled what the compiler had done. Yeah. I didn't rewrite the compiler. That's your way of <laughs> no, 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 no. But but the end result was we really understand what's going on when we say await. Hopefully, hopefully, which is crazy if you think about it. It's procedural asynchronous code. It's fabulous stuff. It's wonderful. So you've got a session this afternoon on technical communication. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this. I mean, you're a well-known communicator, a Stack Overflow god. It sort of happened organically, I guess. Yeah, how did this happen to you exactly? Um, I think it started back in a company called Paramount. Actually, no, it started back when I was at university. Mm -hmm. When uh, this was 94, I started university, and I rapidly discovered the alt-book Stephen King newsgroup. Right. And that got me into communicating uh, on the internet a lot. Yeah, exactly. On Usenet. News groups. Um, so that got me into Usenet. And then I joined Complang Java Programmer mm-hmm. and wrote a load of posts on there. Um, and then obviously later the C Sharp News Group and then Stack Overflow. Yeah. So it, it's sort of a long history of communicating with people on the net. Yeah. Not just an email, but you know, there's, a, there's a difference between writing emails, even group emails, mm-hmm. and writing public posts. And there's just a different flavor. You are an MVP also? I am an MVP again, yes. yes. Um, I think last time we spoke, there was some um, fuzziness around that, but I am currently an MVP without the, without the NDA side and without any gifts. Well, the MVP program was started because of people like you. That Microsoft wanted to give props to people who are specifically in Usenet news groups. Actually, it was probably on CompuServe before then. That's um, before my time, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> and giving out uh, advice and helping people, basically technical evangelism, just because they Not want to. Not technical evangelism. Technical, technical support, call it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, I don't I sort view of myself as promoting anything other than writing good code, hopefully. I sort of see technical evangelism and tech support as in the same you know, vein, and, and But you bring up a very salient point around like your Stack Overflow post, it's not just that you know the answer to someone's question, you explain it to them in a way that they understand. Yeah, and a lot of the time, I am not the smartest person on Stack Overflow by a long, long way. Sure. There are way smarter people, and for any particular answer, there may well be other answers that have various points that I don't make, Mm -hmm. and possibly I'm completely unaware of. Yeah. Um, But somehow I seem to be able to get where the original poster, the questioner, is coming from. Right. I don't know. It, I'm going to be interested by my own talk this afternoon to see <laughs> how, how it actually comes out, yeah. because this isn't something I consciously do. I've tried to analyze the process that I go through subconsciously, right? so that hopefully other people may be able to initially do it consciously but then build it into just part of how you well and you, and you, you recognize that you write a post differently than you write an email to an individual than you write an email to a group yep. can you articulate the differences uh so obviously for an email you know exactly where they're coming from right um or hopefully anyway yeah and and if you know, everyone knows that you write differently to your mum than yeah. you write to your boss yeah. yeah or to your boss's boss or to your teammate you'd hope anyway you'd hope um or your mom's boss. But it's <laughs> just, just got to throw that random in there. Sorry. But it, it's a matter of working out what what they're looking for, and sometimes not what they're looking for, but what they need. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I'm willing to make myself unpopular from the questioner's point of view if someone says, how do I do this? And my answer is, you shouldn't be doing that. You yeah. should be doing something else. And they'll right. come and say, but I didn't ask you that. I asked you how I was... It's like, trust me, in the long run, yeah. this is a better thing to do. Right. Um, so it's not just a case of pandering, but it is a case of understanding, if you can, and this is where, if you're asking a question, the more you can give in terms of your own context, right. um, your own experience, if you've got special requirements, etc., explaining those. Um, if you can understand what a person really needs to get on in the best way that they can, they may need a lecture at this point saying, no, you should not be using double for currencies. Yeah. <laughs> or they may just Don't need do it. something saying, you know, okay, this is how you get over that hump. Or maybe if it's a homework thing, it's, okay, you need to break this down into little tasks. Here's the tasks that I would break it down into. Try those and come back if any one of those specific things gives you a problem. It's, it's all about empathy, really. Well, and, and, and you've said this over and over again now. It's about understanding the question, not working on your answer. Yeah. You, you spend most of your time just trying to understand this person's question. You understand you're a rare bird, right? I mean, that <laughs> there aren't very many John Skeets out there. And, and I think that's probably for the best. It, it, <laughs> well, what I mean is that the people who have technical knowledge don't always have the best communication skills. The two do not go hand in hand. Yeah. Usually. I mean, and so it's rare when somebody has both. And, and in my particular case, I was taught by people like you who took the time to explain things, mm -hmm. never made you feel stupid about asking a question, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, a completely unpretentious. And, and there's nothing new about this. So um, Flanders and Swan have a brilliant... So if, if people are unaware of Flanders and Swan, you just need to look them up, Swan with two Ns, um, get hold of all their CDs. This was back in the 60s, I think. Um, they were a sort of music hall thing they would do some songs uh, you may know the hippopotamus song mud mud glorious mud um no but they did sort of sketches between things or, or little commentary on things okay and they were saying that there was um some uh, some report about science saying how one of the problems with scientists is that no one understands them right and they don't understand anything else so right. you have to speak to them in the language that they understand so they've got this yeah. whole thing oh h2so4 professor and the reciprocal of pi to your good wife <laughs> they are superb <laughs> about all this kind of thing but yeah it's not a new problem yeah and there are some fields where it's particularly bad i would say cryptography yeah trying to um get across the messages of what's important in cryptography um without going so deep that no one can understand things is right. really tricky. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some people who do that very, very well. Mm. I'm not one of them because I don't know the security side. Yeah. Um, but they are rare because in order to really be an expert in that field, you need to know the math so well. How do you get back out of that again? How, were you always like this? Or, or was there a pivotal moment where somebody helped you with something and you said, uh, this is what I want to do? Um, I don't know. I've been sort of posting since i've started posting in the java news groups in 95 or something i think i've always had the same sort of attitude i would hope i've got better at it mm -hmm. um certainly got more practice yeah. well, did people help and, you in, when... and if you read the the um malcolm gladwell book about yeah. you know, to become an expert on whatever 10,000 hours is 10,000 yes. hours in anything yeah i wouldn't like to guess at how many hours i've spent writing news group and Stack Overflow posts mm -hmm. between them. 
but I suspect it is the 10,000 hours. So, you know, practice does help. Yeah, what I'm um, getting at is was when, when you were in university, high school, whatever, were there influential people that, that uh, sort of shaped your idea of... I think there was an influential set of things. So yeah. um, I've always liked the arts. I, I've had a very mathematical background in terms of education, but then been doing performing arts. Um, yeah. You know, I've acted, I've directed a bit. And that sort of thing makes you think, particularly for directing, okay, I've got the script here, I've got the actors, what point am I actually trying to make yeah. with them? I've right. got the raw ingredients, how do I mix them together in the right way? Sure. Um, and it's, it's at least related. Absolutely. So I think it's more, I'm just a combination of everything that's happened to me, rather than any individual people. I've certainly had very good lecturers and teachers, etc. And this afternoon I'll be quoting um, one of my Komsky lecturers, who... I can't remember whether it was me or someone else sort of corrected him on some technicality. And he said, uh, yeah, okay, that's wrong. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm suppressing the truth here. Oh. I'm suppressing the smaller truth uh. to get at a bigger truth. And yeah. that sort of thing um, okay. definitely impressed upon me. Okay. Uh, see, like, I, like Boyle's ideal gas law. This is wrong, but very, very useful for explaining a whole lot of things. Yes. Yes. Ooh. And, and well, working wow. out okay. the level of abstraction to talk about. Um, so... I will be pernickety and pedantic about certain aspects of terminology yeah. in the right context. So if we are talking about parameter passing, mm -hmm. then it doesn't make sense to say I'm passing a string to a method. It makes sense to say the argument is a string reference, which becomes the initial value for the parameter yes. of the method. But I don't want to say that every time I'm saying, well, this method passes a string to that method. Right. If I'm talking about the whole system, then you can use the shorthand. Yeah, but yeah. you've got to know to switch modes Context. and go into detail when what you're talking about when the main focus is how parameter passing works. Yes. Um, but it, yeah. And it's also assumptions when you are using the shorthand that people know the longhand. Absolutely. Yeah. When often they don't. They don't. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I think that's a fundamental problem in doing technical presentations in general, is knowing your audience and trying to poll Absolutely. at the beginning and trying to yes. find out that you you know what's the biggest group that I will not leave behind here. Yeah, and and I always try to find out who I'm talking to for for presentations at, at conferences. I will always do some sort of hands up. Um, and this morning when I was presenting about async, I didn't do what I usually do, which is how many of you have actually used this already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and just as a quick plug for the async stuff, I'm always shocked at how few people have played with it. Oh. Go play with it. It's a CTP. That's it's because free. it's easy. It's really crazy to grok. And I think... Yeah. But you're going to need to grok it at some point. So Especially for a procedural programmer who hasn't done asynchronous coding, it really changes yeah. your mindset, your fundamental mindset but of these what days, programming is. Virtually everyone who's been doing professional .NET coding, unlike me... Yeah. Um, Probably the async model has been doing. Well, you've been, you've been doing something asynchronous, whether yeah. it's using callback mechanisms or having to use background worker and doing control right. invoke and stuff. Yeah. So you've already experienced some of the pain. Yeah. And just dip a toe in and find out how much more pleasant the water is in the async yeah. pool. Well, Thread I, pool. I just I just love the fact that I can take, you know, uh, multiple calls to multiple web services that have to chain one after another. And instead of having nine methods to handle one process, I can do it all in one. Yeah. 
And a lot of this goes back quite a while. Um, there were already... Um, there's the CCR, the uh, Communication and Coordination... Concurrency and Coordination Runtime. Oh, the, the Xbox thing. Ages ago that um, used iterator blocks, which doesn't surprise me at all, given how iterator blocks and async are similar. Yeah. So they use what they got in the language to let you do something similar. Right. Um, but it was just that bit too painful. And again, it all ends up about communication because mm -hmm. ultimately coding is communication. You've got some idea of, yeah. or you've probably been given an idea of the system that we want to build. Yeah. And you have to translate that, communicate those ideas to a compiler yeah. and to whoever's reading your code. Mm. And it's it's all about how well you can communicate that really that is, ends up it? with beautiful code that is maintainable and will work nicely. Um, so, in a way, the evolution of languages is really an evolution of language as a communication tool. It's increasing our vocabulary. Yeah. If you will. And I think that turning code into poetry is really about making it elegant. And I think developers need to stop thinking about communication as something they do in their teams as emails and presenting uh -huh. at conferences mm -hmm. and think of it as a spectrum that goes right from the compiler and people reading your code and people reading your documentation and people that you're talking to in conference calls, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. It's it's all communication. Um, and going back to the understand what your questioner wants to know, understand what the person reading your code later on mm. wants to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing a comment that doesn't give information to someone reading your code in a year's time, why are you writing it? Yeah. Yeah. The only purpose of a comment is communicating with a human later on. Right. right. So, yeah. John, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always fun. Yeah, and congratulations and on your success here and continued success. Fingers crossed. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 